Just wanted to let you know, Tog, um, that scripture from Psalm 73. When I was in college, I was in a deep depression. And the Lord lifted my depression from those very words. And He told me He's all that I need. So, I appreciate you sharing that this morning. Thank you. Glad to be here with you this morning. It's good to see a lot of smiling faces. I don't normally see that necessarily in church when I speak in different places. So I'm glad you're a happy group. I'm glad to be here with Pastor Mark and just really so um, impressed with your pastor, his desire for Jesus, his desire for the mission. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about his mission and what it requires from you and from me. I think what's on the heart of Jesus more than anything else is that people would come to know who he truly is. You know, the first thing that Jesus did in his public ministry was he went out and he recruited people for himself. And as he was walking, he saw this group of fishermen that were out on the banks. And he came over to them and he gave them a challenge. And he said, here's what I want you to do. Drop everything, follow me, and I will show you something that's so much more important than the profession that you have right now, which is catching fish. I'll show you something that will have eternal value. I'll show you how you can fish for people. I'll show you how you can catch people for the kingdom of God. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus called out to them and He said, Come, be My disciples, and I will show you how to fish for people. You'll notice right here in your outline, the Scriptures, if you want to, you can follow right along. You see, these guys he was talking to, they were experts, and they were experts in catching quantities of fish. I mean, they had their fishing techniques down to a science. And I'm sure that his words intrigued them and challenged them to be fishers of men in such a way that it moved them to take the nets that they were actually mending to put them on the side and follow Jesus. And that mandate and that challenge that Jesus gave those fishermen 2,000 years ago is the same mandate that He gives you and me. Even though Jesus called us to be fishers of men, He's actually asked us to be experts in the fishing for men and for women so that they will come and enter into the kingdom of God. So how do we do that? How do we help people to experience and encounter Jesus. Is this me? Yes. How's this? Is this better? Okay. I've been rescued. 
You know, they say people, the fear of um, death is only surpassed by the fear of public speaking. And then you have a moment like that, right? I'm going to start from the beginning because, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Jesus told us to be fishers of men. How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. Here we go. Here's a few ideas that you can use as you're trying to catch fish for the kingdom of God. First, any good fisherman knows you got to use good bait. Now, let me tell you what the best kind of bait you can use. It's a changed life. Your life, who's being transformed by Jesus, which Pastor Mark just talked about, that is the mission of this church, to see people's lives changed and transformed by Jesus Christ. Your changed life will attract people to Christ. I mean, any fisherman worth his salt knows that if you were to use Cheetos as your bait, you're probably not going to catch too many fish. In fact, you might catch some fish, but they're the unhealthy kind, you know, the couch potato kind of fish. But you got to use the right kind of bait, right? The right kind of bait to reach the right kind of fish. And that bait is a life that honors Jesus Christ. It's a life that evidences Him in everything that you do. And the truth is, is that our life is constantly sending signals out. And people are reading those signals that we're sending out. And either it's going to attract them or it's going to repel them. Now, is there anybody in this room that likes Chinese food in here? Yes, I love you guys. I love Chinese food, right? And one of my favorite dishes is sweet and sour chicken, okay? All right, I hear a couple of amens on that one. Now, in my opinion, there are sweet and sour Christians. There are Christians that put a sweet taste, right, in people's mouths. And they make the gospel very palatable and delectable to unbelievers by the way that they live. I love strawberry shortcake as well. And in Central Florida, if you know where Plant City is, maybe some of you have been to the Strawberry Festival. Fresh strawberries as far as the eye can see. A whole festival dedicated to strawberries. And like thousands of people show up. But it's not just the strawberries, it's the pound cake. And it's that thick whipped cream, and the way they put it all together, it just like melts in your mouth. I probably shouldn't be talking about this right before lunch, right? It's so good. Like you savor every bite. That's how our lives should be. So attractive. So delectable that people say, I want what you have. You know, I accidentally picked off an orange off a sour orange tree. Anybody ever had one of those? That was one of the worst mistakes I've ever made. As soon as I took a bite of that, I like hurled it right on the ground immediately. It was awful. What is the signal that you're sending? Are you a sweet or sour Christian? Have you ever heard the phrase, Christians are nothing but hypocrites? You know, they say one thing and then they, they live another way. You see, our lives should be consistent. Delightfully inviting, compelling to those who need the Lord. Check this out in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, Thanks be to God who made us his captives and leads us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now, wherever we go, he uses us to tell others about the Lord and to spread the good news like a sweet 
perfume. Our lives are a fragrance presented by Christ to God. You know, when my wife and I were first married, I bought her this perfume. It was called White Diamonds. And I loved it. And I loved it every time she sprayed it on her. It just made me want to come up and snuggle right next to her. Now, for some of you, it's not perfume that gets you all excited. It's, it's barbecue, right? It's the smell of barbecue. Whatever that wonderful, sweet aroma is for you, think of it in that way, that our lives should be an aroma to the people that we're around, that it's so attractive, that people are drawn to it, that they literally want to get close and sneak up to what the gospel really is. Now, any of you aware of um, aromatherapy? You know, it's really become popular in the last 10 or 15 years. It's different natural oils and different things that are being used, and they're really used for, for health benefits. Just, just the smells of candles and oils and things like that. And, and, and they say it often relaxes you and soothes you and has all kinds of different uh, medical benefits to it. Well, you know, the verse that we just read, the, the way I think of it is that Christians should be aromatherapy for the world, where we draw them to ourselves and we bring the healing power of the gospel into people's lives. Jesus said it this way. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It says everyone. Christians, non-Christians. I mean, when they look at you, your life points to God and God gets the credit. And the way we win people to Jesus is by our good life and sharing with them the good news. Not by being hypocritical or argumentative or, or, or getting into debates. It's because of our good lives and our good deeds that point people to Jesus. It is a pleasing aroma that sends people to Christ. So you see, in order for me to catch fish, i got to use the right bait. And the right bait is a life that honors Jesus, that attracts people to Himself. Here's the second thing you might want to write it down is you got to go where the fish are. It's not rocket science, right? If you're a good fisherman, you got to go where fish are. You're not catching any fish if you don't. And that means you got to build strategic relationships with the unchurched. Great fishermen find the good spots and they'll go to whatever lengths to get the fish. I mean, they'll go a mile or two off the beaten track. I mean, they'll go through bushes and thorns. They'll find that little honey hole, right? Where they think the fish are so they can fish. Now, I want you to know I'm not a great fisherman. I'm not even a good fisherman. Because my idea of fishing is just finding some water, getting a tent, getting an easy chair, like in a little cooler, plopping something in the water, and then maybe taking a nap while I'm out there. I'm not a very good fisherman. A great fisherman... Man, they know how to go after the fish. I had a neighbor who was just like that. I mean, he would go down these unbeaten tracks. He was an avid fisherman, and he was a good one. And he loved to catch rainbow trout. And he had these special fishing spots that he discovered in these backwoods of the mountains. And he'd always come back from these fishing trips. I mean, just loaded down with fish. And he and his wife would invite our family over for a fish fry, and we would eat as much as we could eat and, until we just couldn't eat no more. And, and I'd always ask him after we'd have these uh, fish fries, and say, now, now just tell me, where, where'd you get the fish? 
course, he would never reveal a spot, right? But he said, you know what? Just go where the fish are. It was always the same answer. Well, you know, if you want to catch fish, just go where the fish are. And this is what Jesus did regularly. He went to where the people were, and he was showing his disciples how he could fish for men. The only problem was it that the religious people were not very happy about Jesus' approach of catching fish. These religious zealots called the Pharisees didn't want him building relationships with unspiritual people. In fact, in Luke 5, it says, the Pharisees and the teachers of law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with literally such scum? Tax collectors and sinners. Listen, if you think that Christianity is like something for neat and clean and perfect people, you are so way off course. Christianity, it's for people who understand that they're messed up and that they're broken. They need the power of the gospel to transform them. Jesus said that the sick realize they need a doctor. They get it. We got to go where people are, where the fish are, who really need God. People who understand my life's a wreck. I'm broken and I need Jesus. And he went to the receptive places. The places where the fish were biting. That place where catching fish was, was so easy to catch, it was like low fruit. And he found it in the darkest places. And it's often the places we don't want to venture out into. Where it's messy and it's dirty and sometimes hard to reach. But great fishermen make the effort and they take the risk in order to catch fish. As followers of Christ, we have to make sure that we don't spend the majority of our time just with Christians who we love, our brothers and our sisters. And just maybe by some chance we just hope that some will kind of jump into our boat. Now, I would love fishing like that. I'd love to be in a boat. Just open my cooler and say, come on in, jump in. But it doesn't work that way. First Thessalonians says this, because we loved you, we were happy to share not only God's good news, but even our lives. He's saying, you know what? We were the church and we brought the church to you and we poured our life into your life. That's how you build relationships with the lost in the church. You share your life with them. He was hanging out with them. You know, a lot of times when Christians think about going to talk to someone about Christ, sometimes, and maybe you've envisioned this, you knock on the door of someone you don't know, and you give a presentation, and you hope that they'll accept Christ. And for some of you, maybe that seems a little odd and awkward. And sometimes it was for me, because that's kind of how I grew up, telling people about Christ. And what's sad is, is oftentimes we might use an approach, and then we just we tell people, and then we move on, and we move on, and we move on, and we move on but we never really get down and dirty and open our lives with them and share it with them. And sometimes people know that about us. So we, we're kind of looking for them to say a yes so we can move on rather than really be in community with them. 
Christianity, real, authentic Christianity, has to be lived out and breathed out among the lost and the unchurched. And I'm going to tell you, today, more than ever, we have to do this. There is so much skepticism about organized religion and church. And people are looking for something that's real. They know what's counterfeit. They live that every day. But they're looking for someone who has something in them that's real, that can change and transform them from the inside out. I was talking with Ruth Arnold here in Jacksonville. She runs a group called the Second Mile Ministry. And, and she often will host churches who will come in and they'll do block parties and uh, giveaways and sometimes they'll help financially for some of the most impoverished areas here in Jacksonville. Crime-ridden areas of Jacksonville. And I asked her, I said, if, if there is a way that we could get our churches to really help you in what you're doing right here in the grit of the city, what could they do for you? And she said, you know, we don't really need one more block party. We, we really don't need one more event. We, we don't need any more money. She said, if, if change and transformation is going to take place here, we could really use four or five families who love Jesus and practice it and come and live amongst those here in this part of town. That's all I want. They don't know what a good family structure looks like. They don't know anything about Jesus. But if someone could come near like Jesus and be Jesus to them in this place on a daily basis, I think that's where the true change will come. I, I thought about what she said. I I've thought about it for months. I think she's absolutely right. We come near to the people who need Jesus and we build strategic relationships with them. And this doesn't mean that I have to make a, a major alteration to my schedule. What I do is I begin to think about the ways I can maximize my typical way of living. So it's as you go, as the scripture says. So let's say you shop at Publix. You try to go to the same cashier every time and build a relationship. You get your hair cut, right? At, at maybe at the barber shop. So you ask for the same stylist. You normally get gas at the 7-Eleven, so you go to the same attendant. In your job, you try to have lunch with the same kinds of people as you're trying to share Christ with them. Or you ask for the same waiter or waitress when you go out to eat. There are lots of things that you do in your everyday life activity that you could become more focused and more intentional about. Building a relationship and getting close. You leverage the ebbs and flows of your daily life for the sake of the gospel. Now, what I'm talking about is not a program. But what I'm talking about is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week lifestyle that you're incredibly intentional about the relationships that Jesus puts in your pathway. So that's what I'm doing. I'm utilizing my schedule intentionally so that others can find Christ naturally. Now, here's the third thing. You might want to write it down. Is i got to go where the fish are. i got to use the right bait. And then I need to cast and reel slowly. Slowly. You create interest by helping others make their next spiritual step. When you're fishing, there are certain places you know you need to get the bait to in order to get the attention of the fish. Your job is to put the bait right right in that place where the fish can see it and sense it. And then what do you do? You kind of 
Reel it slowly to create a tension for the fish so it'll be drawn to the bait. I really think there's a remarkable parallel here to being fishers of men. There's an interesting article that was written by a guy named Tom Wolf, and the article's title was called The Global Conversation. And the bottom line of the article is that people are in varying levels of their spiritual journey. The reality is, is that God is speaking to people all the time. And some are farther along the journey than others. And our job is to find out where they are and to join in on the conversation and then help them take that next step towards Jesus. It's just finding where in the narrative of their life they are with God. That's why I think Paul said this, I try to find common ground with everyone so that I might bring them to Christ. He's just trying to find out where they were. And then when he could understand where they were in the conversation they were having with God, he could help them take the next step. What was their point of need? What was their point of value? And then point them to the gospel. You see, we have to realize that most people come through a process. It's a process. And when it comes to catching fish, you have to remember, this is the fourth one, to repeat number three, and to be patient. you got to let people come at their own pace. It's rare that every time you just cast something, you put your bait in the water, that a fish will bite every time. Now, in, in my fishing experience, which is kind of limited, there have been times when the fish are biting, and I can't reel them in as fast enough. Uh, I mean, I just throw it in and just pulling them out. But then there's other times when I've thrown the bait and nothing, nobody's biting. But you know, there's one thing I do do in both situations. I just cast and I reel it in slowly. I cast and I reel. And I cast and I reel. And there have been plenty of days I haven't caught a single fish. Do I give up fishing because I didn't catch a fish that day? <laughs> Absolutely not. I just go another day and I say, well, I hope the fish are what? I hope they're biting today. So you're, you're patient. Now think about this. Think about how God had to deal with you. Many of you in this room, it took years before you came to Christ. And God was patient with you. He let you come at your own pace until you finally embraced Him. He loved you. He never gave up on you. And He was always pursuing you. Many of us can point to a real live person who did this for us. They never gave up on us. They were in our lives. They hung with us. And they accepted us. And they shared their life with us. And then we embraced Jesus. Listen, some will be ready. Others will need time to process. And then there will be some who won't be open at all. Your job is not to worry about where they are in the process. You just need to know it is a process. And your job is to cast and to reel. To cast and to reel. And then be patient. The Bible says this. When they heard Paul speak, he was, he was at Mars Hill speaking to a, a group of people who were spiritual in nature but didn't know Christ, who Christ was. 
He shared the gospel with them. When he spoke, the Bible says, some laughed. And others said, well, we want to hear more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them. But some actually joined him and became believers. At first, first, some of them said, hey, this isn't for me. And they ridiculed him, laughed, and said, you know, you're crazy, Paul. By the way, I've lived long enough to see a lot of even those folks come to Christ. They just didn't understand it at the time. you got to be patient, be willing to accept that not everybody's going to agree with you. It, it doesn't even happen in your own family, does it? Where everybody agrees, right? Try to pick a movie that everybody in your family wants to see at the same time. Right? Pick a restaurant that you all want to eat at the same time. You can't even agree in your family on everything. Well, there are people who aren't necessarily going to embrace what you have to say. But then Paul said, hey, there's some who will say, hey, I want to check this out a little bit more. And they want to explore. And those people, you've got to get used to questions. And they're going to ask you lots of questions. And they're going to try to understand where you're coming from. And don't be surprised if they ask you tough questions about your faith. Don't be surprised if they're skeptical and they press you a little bit. Be patient. And to the best of your ability, answer their questions thoughtfully and respectfully. If you don't know the answers to them, then go to your Sunday school leader. If he or she doesn't know, you can always ask Pastor Mark Siegel. I'm told he knows everything. <laughs> then some said, I believe. I believe. And they became followers of Christ. You be faithful in living out the gospel. And you be faithful in sharing it. Remind yourself at the end of the day, your job is not to convert anyone. That's God's job. Jesus said it this way. People can't come to me unless... The Father draws them to me. So guess what? That takes all the pressure off of you. You just be His faithful witness in your deeds, in your talk, and the rest is up to God. That's the way I like it. Because He's the one who's in the people-changing business. It's understanding that at the right time, God will draw them to Christ. If you're patient enough, the fish will nimble and then eventually get hooked. And if you want to catch fish, that's the last point. Hook them when they bite. You seize the moment. When you feel that little tug on the line, what are you supposed to do? Right? Anybody here? The big one got away, right? You didn't yank it the right time? There are moments when people are spiritually open and receptive and they want to accept Christ into their life. And when that happens, you need to be ready. They say that when people are in change or crisis, transition or trouble, they are more open to the gospel. You remember the story about the Philippian jailer? Remember? He's perfectly fine. And then what happens? An earthquake. Not good. It totally changes his life. It looks like prisoners are going to escape. He knows what the result of that is. His head's gone. And he cries out to be saved. Who is in real trouble. And when people find themselves, you need to be clued in on this because they will be more open to Jesus. 
Now listen, let me just put it this way. You are a missionary. And you have been called out by God to be His messenger every day. And He is counting. He's counting on you and He's counting on me to get His message out. And He's expecting us to be ready when the moment comes. The Bible says, if you're asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. I mean, if you don't even know what to say, there's just one verse you can memorize. John 3.16. And if you forget the reference, watch every football game, you'll see John 3.16 right behind the goalpost. It It contains the simple message of the Gospel. And I want you to know what I just shared with you. It really works. It was the pattern of Jesus, and it was the pattern of the early church. And I've seen this work in my own life. It's being ready to share the good news so that they can accept Christ. Now, I'm going to share something with you that I have not publicly shared before in a group. It's not my deepest, darkest sin, so you can relax, okay? But I have shared it many times in in personal encounters, my wife and I. But years ago, there was a young man. His name was Brandon. Brandon um, was involved in a cult called Wicca. Maybe some of you are familiar with that. It's, It's basically a form of witchcraft. Good witchcraft. And we began to have a dialogue and a conversation. We began to build a relationship such to the point that we scheduled a time every single week where we would get together and we would talk about Wicca and we would talk about Christ and Christianity. And I remember after several months of having dialogue and conversation with him, he said to me, he says, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking about coming to your side and becoming a Christian. But I want to talk a little bit more. I said, okay, that'd be great. I said, why don't you meet me down at my office at, at the church? Um, and and let's, let's have a more serious, intentional dialogue about what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ. When he showed up in my office, he said, I've already made up my mind. I'm going to accept Christ into my life. I said, man, that's awesome. He says, but I'm not going to do it right here. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, I don't want to do it in your office. You've got a sanctuary. I want to do it in a sanctuary. That seems like that's the place you accept Christ. I said, okay, that's fine with me. We walked inside there, and uh, they were doing a thing in the church called the Singing Christmas Tree. I don't know if any of you remember a Singing Christmas Tree. And so the whole bottom was, was occupied, and so we went up into the balcony. And uh, I, I went down, sit down with him right on one of the pews there, and I said, Brandon, <clears throat> you already know what it means to invite Christ into your life. I, I want to simply lead you into a prayer in which you can ask Christ into your life, and then I want you to pray. He said, okay, no problem. When I sat down to lead him in this prayer, I could not speak. It was like my tongue had been nailed to the roof of my mouth. Now, I want you to know, I normally don't have a problem talking. Ask my wife. But at this moment, I could not speak. And I would just try to speak, and I could it was like I had been rendered mute. And I began to pray. And I said, in my mind, Jesus, you have to release my tongue. This man needs to come to know you. 
And at that moment, I was able to speak. I was able to lead Brandon through a prayer of accepting Christ into his life. When he finished praying, I said, Brandon, now you, you pray. Then Brandon sat there for a long time, didn't say anything. And then all of a sudden he said, Jesus, forgive me of all the darkness and the blackness that I've been involved in. And he began to sob uncontrollably. At that moment, the singing Christmas tree was singing Hallelujah Chorus. It was like scripted for a movie or something, you know? And I could just imagine the angels celebrating in heaven when my friend Brandon, over months of conversation and relationship, had finally come to the point of accepting Christ. It was incredible. It was so incredible that Channel 7 News in Miami found out about this guy who was a Wiccan, and now he was a Christian. And October 31st, they did a, this sort of scary thing on Halloween where they talked about the demonic and, and, and all of this and, and, and how this one guy was in darkness and now he was a, a Christian. And they did an expose with he and I in an interview. From that interview, it led to all kinds of crazy people calling me from the community. Um, and, and some of them are, are just crazy and bizarre stories I cannot share with you now. But there was one, and his name was Artu, and he was from the country of Turkey. And Artu came to me and he said, how? He said, I've been to priests, I've been to shamans, I've been in a mental hospital, I've gone everywhere I know to get help. He said, I was a master jeweler and I made a lot of money, but something began to come over me and, and take over me. and I." can no longer practice my trade. He said, I, I see shadows at night and they keep me up at night. I've wondered if I've been crazy or, or what's been going on, but he said, it, it hasn't been good. He says, I've lost hope and the only thing I know to do is just end my life. But then I saw this expose and he said, I knew I had to come and meet you. Maybe you could help me. I said, or two, I, I don't know if I can help you, but I do know one who can. He said, well, he said, that's great, but he says, I don't have any money. I said, you don't need money. <laughs> so on a Tuesday night, we gathered the elders and the leaders of our church to come together to pray over our two. The moment we put our hands on him, the man fell to the ground and began to shake violently. This is a new experience for a Southern Baptist minister. I'm not used to people falling on the ground, right, and shaking violently. But we prayed for him, and we read scripture to him, and he would yell out in these very strange guttural voices that he could not accept or embrace Jesus. After two hours of pleading with him and saying, two, all you have to do is tell Christ that you believe, he finally yelled out, Christ, I believe. And at that moment, everything left him. He stood up in his right mind, having use of all of his faculties. He said, they're gone. The very next week, he showed up to our service of this church that we had started. He gave me a plant, and he said, I'm giving you this plant because I now have a new life. And that new life is now with Jesus. We got an Arminian Bible, and all of our leaders signed in the Bible for him, and we gave it to him on that day. And he said, I want you to know I will not be back anytime soon. I said, why? 
he said, I've got to tell people in my home country what Jesus has done for me. I'm leaving this week. I did not hear from our two for over two and a half years. And one night, I'm on the phone. It's a Saturday night with the lady who's going to share her testimony in church. I built my whole message around this lady's testimony because it's a pretty good testimony. But Saturday night, she's telling me, I don't think I can go through with it. I'm like, oh, great. I have no backup plan. Right? Has this ever happened to you, Mark? Don't say it. <laughs> Bad. Not good. And I'm like racing my mind. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I have call waiting. A uh, call comes in. I click over, and it's R2. R2 says, I'm back in the States. And God is telling me that I must come and speak at your church tomorrow. I click back over. I don't need you anymore. <laughs> We're good. That morning he came with another gentleman who he had just led to Christ six weeks earlier from the country of Turkey. He said, Hal, I took that Bible that you guys gave me and I read it every day. And I went back to my hometown and I told my brother what Jesus had done for me. And you see, my brother and I, we used to be involved in the cult, the occult. And, and my brother miraculously received Christ and many of my family members. And then I decided I needed to tell other people. And so for the last two and a half years, I've gone from town to town telling people what Jesus has done for me. I said, Artu, how, how did you do that? I mean, you don't have any money. He said, I would just pray. I would fast. I would ask God what I should do, and he would always open the door and someone would take me in for an evening or I would have just enough food. And I was able to tell many of my brothers across the country of Turkey what Jesus had done for me. Oh, man, that was crazy. And then I thought, he never went through my discipleship program. I can't get credit for this one. God got a hold of his life. And that man got up that Sunday morning and he shared his story. And he said, I was in the deepest, darkest place. And then the light of Jesus broke through into my soul. It has forever changed me. You could not see a dry eye in the place. God had miraculously transformed this man's life. And we got to be beneficiaries of that. It just started with a faithful relationship with one guy who then gives his life to Jesus, who then it becomes broadcast, and then another man finds Jesus, who then tells lots of other people about Jesus. God's not asking you to be Billy Graham. He just wants you to cast embryo. Be faithful in your life. Let it so magnify Jesus Christ that people are attracted to Him. Go get dirty. Go where the fish are. Find people who need Jesus Christ in their life. And then when you do, walk with them. And be patient with them. Don't be pushy with them. Answer their questions. Don't, don't back down because of their skepticism or their ridicule. You be faithful to them. Every person that God entrusts in your care, you be faithful to them and then watch what God does. This is what I hope this church will do. Every one of you. 
this is what I hope every church in JBA will do. We'll be faithful in such a way that we see the 670 plus thousand people in Jacksonville who have no claim religious affiliation will one day find him because there was a faithful person right here who decided they were important and they were going to share the good news with them. Bow your head. Let's, let, let's pray. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, 